Well, hey there, partner. Welcome back to the Water Cooler Talk Experience, the only extreme experience you'll ever need to have a fulfilling life. Now, don't turn that dial because we are full speed ahead. Yeah. Uh, every single new listener we gained in the past month immediately turned off the podcast. But with that, welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the new listeners. During the month of February, we became a featured podcast on Podbean, which allowed us to get to have this show spread to the masses, and we gained listeners from all across the globe. Let's see here. We have Russia, Mongolia, Costa Rica, Cuba, Portugal, Sudan, Germany, Austria, uh, Lithuania, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijani, Thailand, Indonesia. Vietnam, and Japan. So uh, I absolutely love that the show is really beginning to connect with an international audience and create impactful discussions on a global stage. It's not just local anymore. It's global, man. Um, I received a few emails from some new listeners, and just the support is beyond imaginable. So, so thank you for that. Um, I'm always looking for more pen pals. So if you're a listener and want to talk about whatever, send an email to watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. Send it in your own language. I'll, I'll, I'll Google translate it and boom, we'll become best friends. So to what you're all here for today's new episode, we had the chance to be joined remotely from Chicago, Illinois by Jennifer Doherty. Jennifer is a certified health and life coach comedian and an alumni of Second City, Chicago. Don't worry, 30 Rock fans, we jump right into talking about her experience at Second City. But overall, Jennifer was she was such a wonderful and soulful person to have a conversation with. I very much enjoyed our conversation and the the expertise she was able to bring to a topic that I'm still really trying to work through and understand in regards to being burnt out in your career. Uh, one of the encompassing ideas we do discuss is that there's no one really solution to bouncing back and getting back on your feet. It's gonna take time and you have to try and find what tools work best for you. As I'm finding out, there's a lot of trial and error in that process. Jennifer was nice enough to send me her ebook, How to Bounce Back When Your Dreams Have Not Worked Out, Burned You Out, or Your Dreams Have Died, uh, that I had a chance to read through prior to this episode and really take a few very helpful tips to use in my own, you know, bounce back. Uh, so as a gift from Jennifer to the water coolings of the world, you can follow the link posted in the description of this episode, join her classy and sassy newsletter, and receive 20% off her ebook, How to Bounce Back When Your Dreams Have Not Worked Out, Burned You Out, or Your Dreams Have Died. Uh, I highly recommend taking the time to listen through the episode, and if you connect with Jennifer, give the link a click. Once again, that will be in the description of this episode. In this episode with Jennifer, we got a chance to talk about the wonderful and wacky world of online dating and how not to become a getaway driver, bouncing back from and accepting being burnt out, and finally how breaking down, yes that's right, breaking down can lead to a better you. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 31, titled What Now with Jennifer Doherty. Enjoy! This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. Before we do like jump into the first story, I want to talk about Second City in Chicago and kind of your experience with it because Tina Fey is a huge idol of mine. I know she got went through Second City. Do you have any do you have any good do you have any good stories? Yeah. Um what's funny is I was a pre-med college student. So Second City was 
my introduction to the entertainment in terms of professional training. And I really loved that everywhere in the building, there is some quote from Tina Fey or some quote from someone else that's famous. And I didn't really have like crazy stories about famous people because all of my castmates were still all up in comers. But what I found really fascinating was just the history and the legacy decade after decade, how um, they really, Second City really does do a good job of making sure the training is growing with a changing audience, but that you're really getting just as much instruction like Tina and Tina Fey and, and all the greats got. And, um, it really prompted me to write my own shows and, and do solo shows. So I'm really grateful for my training. I think uh, the the best part about Second City was just um, having the opportunity to be there and being a part of the culture. It's it's a completely different culture than anything I've ever experienced. What made you interested? Like, I'm very interested in the stand-up world, the improv world. I know someone, like, I grew up watching I guess now that's really made is Ben Schwartz who is now Sonic uh, like what what got you into really improv in the comedy world so <laughs> it's kind of silly but it's sort of a spiritual awakening because I decided not to pursue medicine so I could pers- pursue comedy um, which to a lot of people would be like that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> like were you thinking okay and mm-hmm. feeling okay when you made that choice and actually ironically I was I just kind of knew in my heart of hearts that if I were 90 years old and on my deathbed and got to live a beautiful life, would I have any regrets? And I realized that writing shows and in doing that part of my intellect, but then also part of what was felt like a calling um, mattered more than going to some fancy medical school and getting my degree and just having a vocation. So I know that sounds strange and some of your listeners might find that strange, but it really was just what I felt like I was meant to do. And doors, ironically, have opened more for comedy than they have for my actual day job career. So that was kind of an insight that I made the right choice. (laughs) Well, I think like comedy is like I have a bit of a comedy background as well. I think comedy, comedy is so much about like quick thinking and being witty and I think that works because most jobs like you find out it's like oh if you can really connect with that other person they want you around you can learn the skills of a job but it's like if I can enjoy my time with you I'm probably gonna want to hire you or something of that nature yes and the the irony is too that when you experience so much joy of what your job is you end up having a healthier life like you, you are less prone to conditions and disorders because you're just feeling better in your body and you're feeling better in life. So I, I'm not saying that that's the antidote, follow your passion so you never become ill. But I also think too, if you're never following your passion, you might become more ill than what you'd like. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely agree stress. with that. Uh, well, Jennifer, we should get right into this first news story. By the way, we're joined by, by Jennifer Doherty, and we are going to read about some bad first dates. <laughs> Which you, have, which you have a play about some bad relationships. So I'm excited for you to get into this. When, okay, so when I saw this article, I was like, okay, so all of my bad first dates got nothing on this <laughs> poor girl. Because this girl, I mean, just to say the story, she goes on a first date and her date robs, robs a bank, right? And mm-hmm. so I just thought, 
Wow, that that is bad. My play is about having being in a relationship and having my boyfriend at the time steal my identity. And even though that that has a lot of trauma around it that I have bounced back from, I really feel for this girl because now now this girl has to trust and take a risk with every new date. And I think it might, unless she's got a really strong sense of self-esteem, which hopefully she does, it might take her a little bit of time to bounce back from this. Because I don't think that's the typical. <laughs> it is not typical. All right, we will jump into this one. This is from CNNUS. They met on a dating app. He robbed a bank on their first date and forced her to be the getaway driver. A Massachusetts woman became an unexpected getaway driver after a man she met on a dating app robbed a bank on their first date. Christopher Castillo pleaded guilty to armed robbery and three counts of assault and battery on a police officer. He was sentenced to five years in prison for the 2006 offense or 2016 offense. That's This did happen in 2016, but now the story is coming out. Three years for the robbery and two years for violently struggling against and spitting on police who tried to subdue him. The woman, who is unnamed, was not charged. As told by the police by the woman, she picked up Castile from his parents' home in Chechapich, Rhode Island, and proceeded to drive 30 minutes east to North Attleboro, Massachusetts. As they approached a bank, Castile told the woman to pull over and let him out of the car. Inside the bank, Castile showed a bank teller his gun, demanded $1,000, saying he needed it badly and was really hurting, and after a few minutes came running out of the bank, now with sunglasses, a hat, a gun, and $1,000 in cash. As he jumped into the car, he yelled, fucking go and the woman did as she was told as north attleboro police closed in on the first staters the woman immediately pulled over and walked away from the car as police pulled castile from his car or from her car and arrested him uh so you do have the comedy show don't mess with me i sent my ex to federal prison like you said which is about finding out that your boyfriend of two years hasn't been who he says he was i think there was like a ten thousand dollar uh debt yeah. taken out so i <laughs> wanted to ask you if you might have a bad date story or two that can top the woman's date from hell from this news story. So, oh my gosh, comparing date stories is so challenging, right? Because you don't know what her experience is and, and that. But I do have to say that now um, now my dates are a lot better. I don't necessarily have someone stealing my identity anymore, thank God. <laughs> um, and then that was sort of a weird situation because I had him over for dinner and I was like ill, so I went and took a nap and he went through my files. So that's that's kind of like, it's not like I was just like an idiot or something. Like he actually maliciously like, over for dinner, cooking dinner, and he's going through my files, um, which I had known him for a while up until that point. So that's why it was really, really weird. For this woman, I think it's just a mere fluke of a chance. She picked she picked a bad apple and he was feeling like, okay, I got a winner. Let's let's do this robbing the bank thing. But I think now I would say one of my recent dates is we went to there's this jazz club in Chicago that's Green Mill Lounge. You go and everyone is just they honor the jazz performers where essentially you're not supposed to say a word the entire time because we're all absorbing the beautiful jazz. And my date showed up higher than a kite, <laughs> which I was like, um, first date. And I was like, okay, so how are we supposed to have a conversation? And when we were at the jazz club, he just kept talking and talking and talking during the jazz. And I'm like, you're, you're a regular. He was like, oh yeah. And he gets getting louder and louder. And I, I, like the, the staff is like coming over. Could you like, please shush up. This is the green mill lounge. You're not supposed to talk. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And so <laughs> it was just this, like, really, it was like totally a comedy scene of like me trying to keep my date quiet, him getting louder. And then right 
in the middle of this like jazz number where they brought in a drum set. He fell asleep. <laughs> and then I left. That sounds <laughs> like I've been watching like a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm. That sounds like such a thing Larry David would just do. Like something like that would happen. I was actually trying to think of like a bad date story from my life. And it's like I've had like just dates that have not gone wrong, but I've never I don't I've, I don't think I've ever had that like just comical bad date story. I, I guess okay, now that I'm thinking about it and I have told this <laughs> Once on you get the other, gears going, you'll now think. That, <laughs> like my first kiss was kind of a comical series of errors. Like I think I was in high school, I was very, very young. This was like my first real date. I was so nervous. So I'm borrowing my mom's car and I'm driving down. It's like a hot summer day. I had the windows open. A bee flies into my car. No joke, a bee flies into my car and I start swatting it away because I don't want to get stung by a bee on my first date. And I take my eyes off the road for maybe a second or two and I slam into a parked car going going like, 50, like 10, 15 miles per hour because I'm still in my street. But man, I was just like freaking out. I was nervous about the date. Now I got into my first accident. The neighbors who I car I hit run out, like their whole family runs out. So I'm just like surrounded by all these people going like, what the, what happened? And I end up having to call my mom and I'm like, mom, I crashed the car on our street literally like a minute away from our house and she goes adam if you're fucking messing with me right now i will come down there and beat your ass i'm like mom just look outside look outside and she is like god damn it adam because later on <laughs> later on i found out she was going through some tough situations at work and she was like really stressed out me and my mom are very jokingly joking to each other you know she was on the podcast so you can kind of experience that relationship by listening to that episode but man she was not happy so anyway she comes out and you know we go through all of the police thing the police come we go through all the insurance stuff we take all the photos and i end up telling my day it's like i'm not going to be able to make this movie so she comes and picks me up we go to the movie for some re- i don't know if this was like a normal thing but i had just shaved i usually have a beard but my face was very smooth and during the movie she was just rubbing my face the whole time and it was like a very <laughs> for like a two hour movie and i was just like this is i don't know if this is right but anyways we go home i gotta show you the damage you know i want to be like romantic about it and be like "Ooh, check out the damage i had and let's maybe <laughs> let's maybe kiss in this moment so we go i'm showing her the damage and i'm like all right this is the perfect kiss moment. I go in to kiss her. We're both nervous. Driest lips I've ever had in my life. And it is the dry... Jennifer, no joke. This is the driest kiss I've ever had in my life. Two sandpapers rubbing against each other. This was like my first major kiss. I'm like, is this how kissing's supposed to go? So, <laughs> like, my first kiss was just this very dry kiss after getting in this accident, not mere, like, a mere 100 feet from my house. And I think that has to be my worst date story. Like, at the time, I was just like... I was so embarrassed that I hit a parked car, but now it's become such a good story that I tell everyone. <laughs> but that that well, may be my worst first date story. I think if your worst date story is that it felt like sandpaper kiss and you got into <laughs> a fender bender and that's it, that's the extent of the damage, I consider yourself to be a very lucky person. <laughs> I'm very I'm very lucky compared to this woman who became a getaway driver for, you know, a short period of time. <laughs> Uh, I do want to talk about just like dating in general. Like I joined the dating pool in the beginning of like the hookup quotations on that dating app boon, Tinder, Bumble, OkCupid. I believe Match.com started in like 1994 or something. So right when I was born. So this idea of dating apps has been around for like a good 20, 30 years. In your opinion, 
Why has humankind not perfected the dating app? Why can I not go online and find the love of my life? Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons because we each manufacturer has their own way of doing it. Like I think of Coffee Meets Bagel. Coffee Meets Bagel was created by three women who were just frustrated with Bumble and Tinder and all these apps. So they said, I'm going to make a better one. And it didn't necessarily mean that people that join Coffee Meets Bagel are now going to find love. It's just a different channel. It's just a different way of doing it. And I think one of the reasons why dating apps and dating sites are so crowded right now is they give the illusion that there's lots of choices. So I've got all these options. So then people go on a date and they're being extra critical of their date and being like, well, I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like this. I've got 20 more in my inbox that I can go email. But the real truth is, is that sure, you've got 20 in your inbox, but 10 of of them may not be on the site anymore. So it's really 10. Five of them may have found a new love. So it's, but you don't know it. So now it's five. And you actually might have some incompatibilities that is being beyond undesirable with four of them. So it's really only one. And you may not even have the chemistry with him or her, depending on what you're looking for. What ends up happening is people have the illusion they have all of these options, but in fact, you don't have as many as you think you do. People tend to, which is kind of good, but can also kind of be negative, I guess, when it comes to dating. Like they're so afraid of settling because they realize now with like social media and we're connected to this whole global world is like there's so many options out there. So if it's like, I don't like this option, there is bound to to be a better option, kind of the grass is greener on the other side, but is it always greener? And sometimes it's a case of, oh, you might give up something good because you think you can get something better. And then you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm stuck not having what I thought was good because I wanted something better. You know, I'm a big believer in soulmates. I think people have multiple soulmates. I just don't think there's one soulmate. I think people have multiple soulmates that come in their life when they're needed. So maybe that person isn't on that specific app or something of that nature. Yeah. And I also think, too, speaking of multiple soulmates is sometimes, and and, and I'm not talking about situations of abuse or like where this lady basically went on a date with a criminal. Um, I'm specifically talking about when it comes to relationships, oftentimes we bail at the first sign of inconvenience or the first sign of disagreement or the first sign of, well, maybe I can do better. And what ends up happening is we don't end up allowing ourselves to build the deep emotional bond that would create a really great love life. So you could be on a date with someone who actually is your soulmate, but you might not actually give that person a chance because you're so worried about checking off boxes. That's a very, yeah, that's a very good way of describing it. And I feel like dating and falling in love has like two, you can kind of break it down into there is the beginning where it's passionate. And then when you start having those feelings of love, that's when it gets a little more tougher. It just doesn't come as naturally. And I think some people are at Adverse to spending time in that uncomfortableness of becoming in love with someone because it is difficult. It's like, oh, I can just find someone else and have that passionate relationship for three to nine months or however long it may be. But once I get to that point where it's like, I'm starting to have feelings for this person. This is different. I don't like this. Then they kind of ski away, ski, jet ski away. I don't know. That's a weird analogy, but yeah. And you can actually be addicted to falling in love and not allowing yourself to have that real companionship love because the effects of falling in love could could last a 
month to two years with a person. And after that, it starts to switch to that other kind. But you can still invite, you know, dates that create lust and keep that passion alive. Because what makes a relationship work long term is both the lust component and the companion component. And you need both to sustain a relationship for the like, you know, 5, 10, 20, 25, 30 years, if if that's, if you find you're someone where you get to experience your love for that long, but it's definitely a core component. You need both. And I think sometimes people feel like, oh, I don't feel all the crazy emotions. That could be a good thing because when you feel the crazy emotions, it could be somebody that's really not compatible with for you or really not a good fit. No, that's a good point. And like one of the reasons why I tend to try to keep a, like a healthy community communication with people I've dated, exes, and you know, there's like a few where it's just a negative situation and you can't resolve a relationship is because you never know later in life, maybe you just met at the wrong time. I think relationships, the importance about relationships is timing. Like it's so important that you're both in the same spot at the same time. And there's a million billion different occurrences that can mess up that thing. So I think that's why it's important that I try to keep, you know, just contacts with people I've dated, exes, just because you never know in 10, 20 years, you know, I'm not hoping on these relationships to work, but I'm open to them working, you know, down the line when maybe the timing is a little better. Yeah. And you never know if you leave a relationship amicably, they could go get married and then you're at a party 15 years from now and they introduce you to your soulmate. You just don't, you just don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I like, I like to keep those communication lines open because yeah, you just, you just don't know. And it's always good. Like I've always found it very weird when dating, you like date someone and understand that like negative relationships. Uh, but when you date someone, you end on good terms. You know, obviously you need that space away from that person, but you had that connection. Like, you know, usually with everyone I date, like I have some sort of connection that draws me to that person. I just don't want to throw that away just because we found out romantically we didn't work. You know, it's like, I think there's options to have a platonic relationship. If both sides agree, both sides feel comfortable with it. Yeah, I just want to highlight something for your listeners that are listening to this and may have had what what are more so described as toxic relationships or relationships that it is not good to be friends with them, continuing either for legal reasons or emotional reasons, whatever the reasons, that it is okay to cut them off and never talk to them yes. again. Because I think that there's a lot of people that fall into that, um, the potential of like, oh, well, they could introduce me or, or I could have this or we have kids together and I need to do this. And if you have kids together, there is a little bit of where you have to speak to each other more, but you can limit how much you speak to them. And I think that that's really important to recognize for your own self-care and your own self-awareness is that sometimes you are meant to meet people and you're supposed to experience them and it goes the way that it goes and you are supposed to like separate and never talk to each other again. I think it's wonderful when we do end up becoming amicable with our exes, but if if you need to snip snip them out of your life, it's okay to not have to go back to them. <laughs> no, that's a very good point. And I don't know if you're a fan of Bojack Horseman, but uh, spoilers for anyone who does watch it is, you know, the kind of ending talks about how people that have become really important to you, they are kind of done with their importance to you, like not in a negative way, but they just don't have anything to offer you anymore. And it's okay to kind of cut that person out of your life. Right. And that just becomes like a chapter in your book. There's nothing negative about that. It's just you're creating healthy instances for yourself because at the end of the day, 
you know, if you're not looking out for yourself, you're kind of not living the best possible healthy life. Right. And that actually got me thinking about something of like, you know, closure, end of end of chapter. You know, sometimes we're evolving too, just like our lovers are. And sometimes our lovers don't like who we've become. And if you're not married, sometimes it is time to like find somebody new there's kind of like I, I think I'm misquoting the quote but there's a quote of you know don't pay attention to any of the people that still want to relate to you as the old you because the old you has transformed and they're ready for their next chapter and sometimes friends family good meaning co-workers they like you at the old version because that was like safe that was what we know. And I think sometimes with relationships, if someone is evolving and growing and the other person is kind of like not on that same pathway, you can actually, you know, separate a little bit in terms of your love, not because you don't love each other, but because one is like really aggressively growing and then the other one feels left behind. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say, you know what, if it's meant to be that we're supposed to be broken up, then you part ways and maybe you do end up being amicable, but that that is all part of our evolutionary process of becoming the people we're supposed to be. No, I think that's, I mean, incredibly healthy way of looking at it. And then kind of just going back to the online dating aspect, like how do we go about having these healthy relationships with online dating? How do we avoid becoming a part of a crime? Oh my gosh, this is like such a juicy topic because... (laughs) um, Um, there's there's this aspect that we believe as humans, we can prevent these things from happening. And there's a certain point where we can't prevent all of this. (laughs) You could be a very brilliant, smart, attractive um, male, and you could still attract a crime seeking woman. (laughs) Like it can go in reverse. It can go all these different ways. So there isn't going to ever be a 100% I'm, you know, never going to experience heartbreak or some sort of crazy situation. But I think where you can take action, where you can control what you can control is making the right choices to evaluate people properly. Like if something is going a little odd or off during communication and it's not a superficial thing, it's more of a, does that really make sense? It's okay to honor your intuition and say, nope, I'm not going to go out with them. Um, I'm almost curious as like a health coach and as like a consumer of helping people find love online. I would be curious to see that woman's chat history on that app. I don't think they mention the app because that's like a legal liability. But like if it were Tinder or Bumble or Coffee Meets Bagel, what does that chat history say? And was there any red flags? There may not have been any red flags. It could have just been a quick, short, short, short conversation. And then it's just like, wow, you, you drew you drew a bad card. It was luck of the draw. But if it was something where like there was a lot of warning signs and she was just wanting to go on a date because she hadn't been on one in a while, but there was warning signs. It's okay to honor those warning signs and say, you know what? I'm worth not going on this date. But I'm curious. I would want to see the chat history. Well, I think there had to be like some level of trust because she drove 30 minutes out of her way to pick up this guy. So there had to be like some level of trust because I don't think I would ever drive 30 minutes for someone like I don't somewhat trust. Okay. 
So I think it depends on how determined you are. I've known of people driving an hour, two hours to have a date with somebody that they had a great connection with. There are people that like someone's in LA and the other person's in New York and someone will get a plane ticket and they will travel through the airport to have a date with someone. So I think it depends on how viable the connection is. You just may not have met someone where the connection was viable, where you would travel that far. Well, I definitely I've, I've I mean, you know, I've worked internationally. I definitely had, you know, relationships where like, oh, I really appreciate that person. But I think just like in like a first week of talking to someone like on a dating app, I wouldn't be like, I'm gonna drive 30 minutes to meet this person. I think, you know, there has to be some sort like I have to feel like there's a connection. And maybe this woman, like you said, she was just really in need of a date. And she kind of overlooked some red flags instead of really kind of just being like, all right what do I want? And I think that's the most important thing with dating apps, at least from my perspective, is to be like very clear on what you want. Let the, you know, the laws of attraction, let really let the universe help you out on this. Be like, I really want this type of relationship with this person. And I think that will help you really get clear on, is this person good for me? Or am I just kind of lonely and want somebody to help fill that void? Well, and if you're listening to this and you do feel lonely and you do feel like a void, it's okay to honor that because Mm -hmm. that's telling you that you want to be with someone and you want to take the actions to do that. So those emotions aren't necessarily bad. Where you get into trouble is if you go down a path of desperation. And I'm almost curious, like, we don't know this woman's dating history. And thank God they didn't press charges on her. Like, she lucked out there. (laughs) I think she got a nice cop there because, like, I'm sure that's what tells me that there's a chat history because she was like, no, wait, this is the first (laughs) date. (laughs) And it's like what I picture in my head. Uh And that's what got her off because there are many women that get into situations where they're with their significant other and they go do a crime and they get held responsible too. And there's a lot of ministries in the U.S. that help women recover once they've had that. But yeah, you definitely get down to the nitty gritty about having let the law of attraction, let a higher self or whatever you call the entity that's greater than you, you know, dial in and phone a friend and have them help you out. (laughs) Definitely. I agree with that. And then Jennifer, finally, if you're comfortable, uh, Sam Yagen, co-founder of OkCupid and grandfather of online dating, recently revealed the three crucial questions that can predict long-term compatibility in a relationship. So what I want to do is ask the three questions. We'll both answer. And hopefully by doing so, someone listening to the podcast will feel a connection and bing, bang, boom. We got some love going on. Okay. (laughs) So this is the first question that Sam Yagen says will find you a long-term partner. Do you enjoy horror movies? No. I'm I'm like I'm on a I'm on a maybe. Like I need to be in the right situation. (laughs) I think like there's some that are like cool, but I just don't get into them. I feel like I feel like there's a lot of lame, lame action. So I don't like (laughs) really get a thrill from Mm that. I can definitely I used to dog sit a lot and I would never watch a horror movie when I'm dog sitting because you're like in a new location, new environment. You don't know this house. You don't know how easy it is. (laughs) 
for a killer to sneak in through the basement. So any, that's when it's creepy. Yeah, the, the the ultimate tip for any dog sitters out there: never watch a horror movie when you're dog sitting. All right, question number two: Have you traveled alone in a foreign country for fun? No, but I've desired to. Do you have a top of the list travel destination? Yeah, uh, London. Um, Ireland and Australia. Okay, I like and a those little ones. bit of Virgin U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, that would be interesting. I feel like all three islands have a lot of activity on there that you could really explore mm-hmm. and really expand your cultural sense of being. Yes, I have traveled to Africa, so I have traveled alone in a foreign country, and I had a great time doing it. All right, and then the final question that Sam Yagen says will find you a long-term partner: Have you ever wanted to chuck it all away and live? on a sailboat uh not on a sailboat but i have wanted to chuck it all away and just start over in a new town and city (laughs) interestingly enough like one of my bucket list items is to hand build my own boat and then sail around by myself for a little bit so i don't know what that says about my partner but uh i want to hand build my own boat are you an engineer i am not no i went to school for zoology and now i'm doing a podcast i I don't know your your situation but maybe you uh, asked the law of attraction to help you get an engineering woman to make oh. sure that that sailboat's like solid when you <laughs> it go does not sink too much <laughs> so you're not like out in the middle of it and like catch a leak and you're in trouble <laughs> i'm not going off of the coast and i just start slowly fading away into the water like kind of like the johnny depp in the first pirate of the caribbean movie <laughs> All right. I would like to welcome to the show Jennifer Doherty. Jennifer is a certified health and life coach, comedian, and an alumni of Second City Chicago. Uh, you sent me your ebook, which thank you very much. You had a quote in your ebook as part of a of step ten, I believe. Is timing is our soul's greatest companion, but our ego's worst nightmare. What what's the meaning behind that quote from the ebook? Yeah. So that was something that I really resonated as I was writing it because. Um, you know, a lot of times our ego, our mind that says we must have X, Y, Z by when Mm -hmm. the ego mind is also something that says you're not good enough to go get that girl. That's like awesome. So that loves to, to fill your mind with fear or hold you back. And at the same time, if you haven't had the results you want in your life by a certain amount of time, your ego has a field day with you telling you you're never going to get it at all. And so what ends up happening is timing becomes your best friend because timing will make sure that that person that you really want and love will not pass you. And what is for you will not pass you. That dream job that you really want and you've been getting 30 rejection letters from similar companies, that timing will be when you do get that dream job that you like, you'll, you'll realize wow, I get why the other ones didn't work out. And so sometimes when we're going through life, there's this fear that if I don't have the things that I want now, or I went through this or I failed, or the thing that I wanted just totally bottomed out and I don't know how to bounce back, that ego mind will tell you it's never going to happen or you can't bounce back. And that's where dipping into the healing processes that I go into the book, but also trusting that timing can really transform your life where you'll 
end up being happy with the things that come across your path, if that makes sense. It's really a deep concept, but it really, I think, has a ring of truth. And I think for me specifically, like we're in this compare culture where, you know, social media, we're constantly comparing each other's lives. And, you know, social media is all about the best highlights of your life. And we're constantly com- like comparing yourself. You know, I'm 24 years old. And when I see a 18 year old traveling to Bali, I'm like, well, what am I doing with my life? You know, but then you have to kind of remember, like, I've been to Africa, I've lived on my car, I've done, I do a podcast, you kind of get into this like bad negative space of comparing when really the timing is just, maybe it's going to work out later for you. Maybe you go Bali and when you're 40, 50, you know, it's going to happen if you want it to happen. So you can't really compare these ages and be upset that you aren't where you think you need to be because, yeah, maybe it's just going to come along later in life. And this is something that plagues you, whether you're 25, 45 or 55 or 65. This is something that um, I just was at an event this past weekend and we were celebrating a guy that was 45. And the first thing he said to me, just like one on one, because he knew I was a coach, and he goes, I am not happy with anywhere of what my life is like. I just kept thinking like, oh, my gosh how many how many people around the world are walking around with this energy because that energy is not going to create your best life that energy isn't going to welcome in um, the abundance that you seek and so it's really an interesting concept when you say is this ego or is this like my soul or my timing that's got my back yeah that's a very good point and the ebook by the way is how to bounce back when your dreams have not worked out burned you out or your dreams have died so I want to ask you um, the ebook is broken down into 13 steps, which you state as being a good omen. I don't know if you planned this, but this is what I found out is there are exactly 13 13s in the ebook. I don't, did you plan that out? Oh. So what's funny is, um, so 13 has always been an omen in my, um, I'm Irish and 13 has been an omen in my family for a very long time. Some people think it's like bad luck, but it's always been good luck, even though I don't really believe in luck, but it's just like a fun number. Uh, It's funny you break it down that way because I actually wrote the sections from a meditation. When I wrote it, I I went into meditation, I got the outline of everything, and then I went and wrote it. And the fascinating thing was it like all locked, like it all came together. It was just like this jigsaw puzzle that locked. So I find it interesting that you counted 13 13s, but that's probably just, uh, it's kind of a really cool thing. Just the subconscious, just subconsciously put it in there. You yeah. didn't even, you're just so drawn <laughs> to the number 13 that you're just like, I'm just going to subconsciously put in 13 13s. <laughs> Check it out. I, I guarantee I, I checked it like five times because they're like, this is, this is weird. So I like checked it multiple <laughs> times and I was like, all right, I got it. Uh, that is actually just a fluke because um, I write a lot. I write scripts. I do all sorts of stuff, but this is one that I definitely tried a new concept of meditating before writing a section or before creating the outline. Well, when you were meditating, like what made you break it down into steps like why was the steps the correct way because you know when I think of like steps for like trying to bounce back you know you think of like AA something like the 12 step program so what was it for like steps for you one of the things that I really felt was I wanted to make it so tangible that if you were in the middle of an ego driven moment where you felt just quite to be quite honest you felt like shit you could just go through And you could pick which one was the most relevant to you. And you could go right to that. 
and you could go right to that page. So you could read that section and do that activity right then and there and bounce back. So I wanted to create a very organized way that it wasn't just a bunch of pages because I think about a book that's a great ebook and it's just page numbers and you have to like scroll for days to find the quote that you wanted or you have to scroll for days to find the concept that you wanted. I wanted this to be an easy guide where if you were like, I actually need to refresh around this one step. What did she say? And you can just go to that section. And I didn't really think of like 12 step programs when I wrote it because 12 step programs are really, really good to a certain point, but they're also not a perfect solution. And not to say that anything's a perfect solution because that's kind of an illusion in and of itself. But I just wanted to make it so accessible that if you read it all the way through, you would get a benefit. But if you needed to go back through and like deep moments of despair or something or disappointment or you just got went through a breakup like you could go and you could go look each item and figure out what most resonated with you so that's kind of why how i came up with the structure that i did and i think the most important thing which is like the first step is kind of acceptance like accepting that this is happening and then i also like in step three you're like accept it again man really just hammer down that you need to accept this is happening i think that's so important when you're in any situation whether it be good bad just accept that this is happening and like, all right, what are the next steps, next tools I can use to kind of get out of this in a good, healthy manner? Yeah. And acceptance really is the key because when we resist that acceptance, we really don't get move. We don't move forward. We just stay stuck. And that's why I bring it back in a third time because or a second time, because on the third step, because it's so crucial to really lay it in. I think it's really like, we're like, oh, we accept it. We're ready to move on because this is life. We're go, go, go. Let's move on. But in reality, it might be, no, we need to really like make sure on a deeper level we accept this. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Listeners, if you'd like to connect more with Jennifer, you can do so by heading to her website at www.funnylifecoach.com or by following her on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Funny Life Coach. And as always, those links will be included in the description of this episode. Just a quick hyperlink right to it. Uh, Jennifer, before we jump into our next story, Starbucks uh, is the white chocolate ice mocha and the double smoked bacon sandwich still the go-to guilty pleasure. And by the way, yes, it is. by the way, I don't know if you also <laughs> noticed, but it cost $13. I know. <laughs> You're a great reader. Oh my gosh. But yes. <laughs> Yes, it still is. And I, I got to tell you, sometimes when I see it's $13, I get like a little bit of like, oh, this is peaceful because it's $13. If, if you're just First going time. to the store and if it's $13, you're like, I have to buy it. The universe wants me to buy this. <laughs> All right, Jennifer, are you ready to jump into our second news story of the day? Yes. This is from ABC Triple J Australia. Uh, so this story is based in Australia. So a lot of the numbers will be surrounding the Australian work philosophy. People no longer believe working hard will lead to a better life. The 2020 Element Trust Barometer, a global survey that measures an individual's trust in certain aspects of life, has found many people no longer believe working hard will provide them with a better life. Despite strong economic performances, a majority of respondents in developed markets do not believe they will be better off in five years. This new data means that economic growth no longer appears to drive trust, but instead it is driven by national income inequality. 
The study, which is now in its 20th year, found a growing trust chasm between the informed public, those aged 25 to 65, university educated, and in the top 25% of household income, and the mass public, basically everyone else, which states that 65% of the informed public said they trusted their institutions, while only 51% of the mass public had the same or similar response. Uh, and then also in this study, 56% of respondents claimed capitalism in its current form does more harm than good. So from kind of like my own personal opinion and understanding of this trust barometer, it feels as if the pull yourself up from the bootstraps philosophy is beginning to crumble. Even in the face of economic growth, the fact that the bottom 75% has decide, you know, has this declining trust in their institutions is a bit concerning. As the title mentions, what does it matter if I work my ass off if I'm not going to be fairly compensated for my work and time? You know, a majority of individuals in the workforce, they're not CEOs, they're not managers, they're bo they're not bosses. I mean, basically, unfortunately, expendable. And I think that is why people are starting to realize it's like, I'm expendable. You know, you have another show titled, Thanks for Loving My Pain in the Ass, which delves into a journey of commitment and hard work on your father's Christmas tree farm. From your experiences, how do you view this trust chasm? Yeah, I think when I hear that article, I, I'm really picturing a workforce that's feeling really burnt out. And so their ambition to keep going and going under the current pay structure is giving way. Um, I think people in America are waking up to that, but um, it's a little bit slower than our across the waters friends because Europe and Australia already have some structures in place, especially for women. Like in Europe and Australia, I'm pretty sure that women get a much longer maternity leave time than women do in uh, America by a significant difference. Um, in America, you're lucky to get three months. In other countries, you get significantly longer. So it's interesting that they're saying that it's not enough and that we deserve more because I think us Americans will just continue chasing and chasing and chasing the dream. But if you chase the dream too much, you get burnout. And I think that there's a lot of industries that are feeling burnout. That article is a recent article, and I really read that and I'm thinking, ooh, the tide's changing. People are going to start um, speaking up more. And when people speak up more, better policies will be starting to had. And I think it'll be interesting to see how the world shifts. No, it is. It is interesting. I think this is something that people have ultimately been feeling since the beginning of work. You know, I just think it's now that we're finally been able to kind of understand what it is, you know, have people that specialize in burnout like yourself and really be able to help people through it. Because I'm sure, you know, the Neanderthals were probably burnt out by all the physical labor they needed to do to just survive. But they were like, oh, this is part of my survival. I need to do it. You know, even people working in the factories, you know, before and after wars, they're like, well, I need to do this to survive. I need to do this job to be able to pay for my family to be able to eat, to put a roof over their head. And now that we have all these different options of working and, you know, I, this um, story talks about like the gig economy, like we have all these different people that, you know, are just working freelance and can do jobs here, there and there. There's so many more options to make money that people are realizing like I don't need to be in a job that I don't like to survive because I can find 
a job that I somewhat enjoy. You know, you don't always have to enjoy your job, but I can find something that I don't feel like I'll be burnt out working 40, 50, 60 hours a week just to be able to feed myself. Yeah, I've actually heard of people that are making big money as network engineers and so really stressed out that they take a much lower level job for half the salary. And I say, you know, are your finances going to be okay? And they said, yeah, but my sanity is worth so much more. And even though their budget is tight and they're stressed about money, they're like, I'm, I'm not having all these stress symptoms. I'm not having all these health issues. So yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. And like what you talk about in the ebook, it's like, you know, you ended up having to completely change your commute schedule because of a situation at work. And it just kind of was like, this is not, this is not worth it. Why am I spending my life, my soul energy on something that's just not worth it? Yeah. And the beauty of that situation, even though it was a really bad situation, I'm not going to lie. The beauty of it that kind of came after it was because I had been going to coaching school and because I had built shows and because I had a brand, I was able to create a way to make money other than my job, which made me say, you know what, why am I risking my life traveling 65 miles in the worst you know, construction and traffic in the U.S. The highway that I travel is one of the top three worst highways in the U.S. for commuters. And every day there was at least three or four accidents a day on this highway because it was so bad that after about five and a half years, it was kind of like, okay, I've done everything I can at this job. I've helped them as much as I can. I've grown exponentially, but it's okay to choose something else. And as someone who specializes in burnout, how how do you how do you balance giving a full effort in your job without falling into the trap of the demands of the job outweighing the resources to cope? Yeah, that's a really delicate thing. I think you have to ask yourself that what are the resources you need and what are their monetary cost? And then I think you have to assess when the resources required to do the job are at a higher scale than what you're earning. It's definitely time to make some drastic actions to leave. I did a lot of modalities over the last year of that job to make it so that I could do that job without burnout. And what happened was the expenses rose and the pay decreased. And so it eventually was like, okay, and they were going to give me more money on my way out the door. But I had realized, well, I'm already feeling so burnt out. What's more money going to do? It's just going to prolong the problem. And I think sometimes when you're career ambitious and you have a great career, I think that's the hardest thing to acknowledge to yourself of this isn't working for me. And it's okay to to snip, snip, cut, cut. And there are some people that, you know, they bail at the first sign of a problem. They leave after they leave a job after four or five, six months a year. And if you're that kind of person, there might be more personal growth to stick around a place longer to like really learn some deeper skills. But it can be harder the longer you stay in a job to cut that cord because you become so accustomed to that job security. It's the devil, you know, <laughs> you become 
become so used to those things that it can be really hard to like cut that chain from you. I definitely understand because like in my own personal life, like I had two instances, one where I left at the first sign of it being tough. And the second instance, I kind of stuck it out. I was like, I can get through this. Like the first one of leaving, like I wanted, I went to school for veterinarian science to become a veterinarian. You know, I had taken all these classes to prepare myself. And then I really got into like the thick of becoming a pretty much a doctor. And I was just like, this is, this is not for me. I didn't love it. And I didn't, you know, I just was like, you know what, I'm going to find something else to do. I went to Africa, I figured out that stuff. And, you know, sometimes I do think back, you know, I don't have any regrets about that decision. My, I very much enjoy my life. But I'm like, sometimes I look back and I'm like, you know what, if I would have stuck around for another year, would I have found like a better path within what I was doing and found something I loved within that path? And then, you know, most recently in my most recent burnout, and kind of what I want to talk about burnout and explore more of my own burnout is, you know, I was working in the music industry for three years. And I was like, every week, it was like I was fighting tooth and nail to get a client just so I could afford to feed myself, you know, now being able to look back working it out in therapy, it's like, I was burnt out, man. And I was just trudging along. And I was just I was just destroying my creative process. Because I was like, you know what, I, I felt like I gave up early the first time, which I didn't, that's such a negative mindset to have. But I thought I needed to grind this hustle out to succeed and now looking at it I'm like that was just such a stupid way about going about it there's no reason anyone has to work 70 to 90 hours a week to be able to feed themselves that's just like such a negative mindset to have there is definitely a lure of people that are successful that talk about how much they hustled it's almost like a badge of courage Mm -hmm. and a badge of honor almost so to speak and how that trickles down into society is essentially it becomes glamorous to hustle even if it's in the music industry sure you weren't able to pay i'm sure majority of your bills but hey you were working in the music industry so then people are like they hold that over you of like well you're working here so you might as well suck it up because you're easily replaceable and then you're like oh no and you like hustle 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 more but where i'm really fascinated and i'm working with corporations now on correcting is you know, the hustle isn't the answer because if it was the answer, everything would be working smoothly now. And what we can say is everything's not working smoothly now. If the World Health Organization has stated that we are in a burnout health crisis in the workplace, that tells me it's not just the music industry. It's not just the retail industry. It's every industry. And I think it's time for like a paradigm programming update. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think we are getting that with these new generations because I know my parents, their parents, you know, we talked about it before in the podcast is they had this blue collar aspect of working. Like if you work hard, you know, like we mentioned the, you know, working hard model of success that everyone thought was so vital to the American dream. Now we're realizing like, no, we're screwing ourselves over because we're working our butts off and not getting our worth for that. And like, I'm a big supporter of working smarter, not harder. How can I find worth in what I do and not feel like I'm burning myself out? Can I ask, can I just reframe something that you said? Definitely. So you said, how can I, if I heard you correctly, how can I have more worth in what I'm doing? And I actually think a step above that is your worth is not associated with what you're doing. 
if you know your worth and you honor your worth and you know you're good enough and you know you're lovable enough for the things you want to do, then that makes your things that you do go so much smoothly because they aren't commingled, if that makes sense. No, that definitely because, is a Because I think that there is this tendency that we hustle and we chase because, and I've, I've found this to be for myself too. I graduated in an economic recession in the U.S. and I found myself chasing after chasing after dollars to catch up, to catch up. Did I ever catch up? I don't know. That could be a a difference of opinion. But what I can say is that that chasing energy for whatever you're chasing, chasing a girl, chasing a career, chasing better finances, whatever you're chasing in it, there might be a component that you want that thing because you want to feel worthy. But the opposite is better. If you can feel worthy, then it doesn't matter if that thing has happened yet or not, because you'll feel better. And then the act of feeling better in your own self internally will create those external factors to happen a lot better. No, I'm definitely glad you brought that up because I think just subconsciously, we're so used to the idea of our worth being a part of what our output is. You know, the ideal model of the American dream. And I think that's just subconsciously, everyone kind of has that in the back of their mind. And I think what you said is so beautiful that, you know, you just have to really reframe that and get to a point where it's like, I'm worth me. I'm worth what I can provide for myself and really worth what I feel makes me feel good about myself, if I kind of phrase that correctly. Yeah, and I'm just going to add a little bit of something else here, too, because there's there might be some skeptics listening to this that will say, well, then, then you're too cocky. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. If you're truly in your worth, you're not really cocky because when you're cocky, there's an insecurity at in, in the deeper sense. And sure, you know, there's all flirting and witty banter and all that stuff. And you can take that to the nth degree and have a dysfunctional relationship technically. But what I'm speaking of is when you authentically feel your worth, whatever your external circumstances are, what ends up happening is you have no desire to be truly cocky in the sense because you're owning your worth. And I just want to like just emphasize that for some of the skeptics out there that might be resistant to the work that would allow you to feel your worthiness because you're scared. Oh, I can't touch that. Then I'll be cocky. And and a lot of women feel that. And a lot of women get told that by well-meaning women. Oh, you can't own that thing about your worth. That's too cocky. When really the female is just saying, I did a good job today. That's that's an incredibly important point to make. And I think, you know, in your ebook, you talk a lot about bounce back. And how do you rebound from the feelings of burnout, those feelings of a loss in motivation, emotional and professional depletion, fatigue, etc., and begin to refine your ambition and sense of worth in a career path you once loved, or even a career path you just enjoy? For some people, it's going to require having a professional helping them. There's, there's definitely been aspects of my journey that I definitely had coaches and therapists help with and it actually prompted me to go to coaching school so that I could have the specialty to help others in this way. So I'm very grateful for my journey. I think for like quick on the go things, I think it's um, 
sometimes you have to play a game with yourself of recognizing, being able to A, recognize the burnout, but B, what can I do in this moment to feel complete joy and allowing yourself to do that thing? So like, let's say you've just gotten through traffic. It was extra horrendous. There was 10 car accidents. And now you have to go work for your job another three hours when you get home. That is a situation that really just sucks. (laughs) Um, But for like 10 minutes, you could do something that gives you immense joy. So maybe it's you want to cook a quick bakery treat in your home that's healthy and you allow yourself the gift to cook because you love to cook and you love the treats that you get to make. So you make like a healthy apple uh, cinnamon dessert item with like some a little bit of chocolate, a little bit of cinnamon, and you allow that 10 minutes to create that dessert so that you can have a little bit of enjoyment. Sometimes it doesn't have to be a full day in your schedule to feel joy. Sometimes it just starts with 10 minutes. Um, so I think that that's like a tangible like thing you could do now. But there's definitely something about hiring a coach to help you with this because society as a as a global society is very much about the hustle and there is a better way and sometimes the people around you even well-meaning therapists may still believe in hustle so it's finding a professional that does specialize in this kind of field to help you bounce back at a greater magnitude than what you would have without that help and i, I think that's important that it doesn't need to be this like you said it doesn't need to be this grand thing you do to kind of, you know, feel good about yourself. Like at the end of the day, every day, I take five minutes, just look back at my day and say, what were some of the good parts of my day? And I'll write it down. And you're basically, yeah, when you talk about like coaching, you're training your brain to have these different connections. It's the same thing as when you go start working out and you need a trainer to kind of help you, you know, set up the right form, set up the right workouts. It's the same thing with your mind. You have to treat your mind like a muscle. And yeah, sometimes coaching really helps you kind of, you know, find the right form, find the right, you know, weights that you need, find the right workouts. And I think, yeah, that is very important to kind of start small and kind of work your way up. And I think I just want to emphasize too, there's different types of coaches. I'm actually trained in the transformational coaching method which um, that's a little bit unique that if you have residual issues either in trauma or you have residual issues in burnout that just haven't alleviated yet, you can actually do some deeper change work that gets that to correct itself quickly so that you can move on faster. I think a lot of times therapists are really good. We have a purpose for them for special things. Um, But sometimes a therapist, you're digging into your past so much for so long that you're not really getting the skill set to move forward. And so, sure, you go and heal your past, but you're not actually moving forward because you're not um, having the goals and the transformational work to like bounce back. That's what I really love about coaching. So if you're if you're someone listening to this and you know you're struggling with burnout and whether you're in the US or one of our European audiences or friends across the globe, it's okay to ask for help and to really evaluate practitioners and make sure that someone is trained in a way that help you can do that deep deeper work because the deeper work you do, the better the transformation and the more you can let that pass and you can move forward at a much more accelerated rate. And I think in our go, go, go society, that's something that a lot of people would really love because no one wants to spend 
10 years in therapy trying to work on something. You could try to work on something in three to six months with a coach and you may have faster results. No, yeah, that's a good point. And I think people want to really just be able to live in the moment. They don't want to, yeah, spend 10 years in therapy trying to live in the moment when, you know, they can kind of condense that time and really work through things that they might not be able to work through in therapy or in just any other aspect of getting healthier. I think, you know, as someone who, you know, does therapy, does, you know, reads a lot, you know, I've been really into stoicism of late. I think it's important to kind of have multiple different directions and multiple different like tools you can go to. And I think, you know, obviously coaching is one of those that you can you kind of depend on to help you through whatever you may need. But, you know, there's just a multitude of tools, you just have to do the research and find the one that works best for you. Yeah. And it's okay to have multiple tools. Like I come from a little bit of an acting background and I know that when I have to do a role, I have different modalities I can do to create that character. It's the same thing for our personal growth and self-care. You may at one point feel, wow, I'm really into yoga right now because my muscles are tight and I can give me a better energy where six months from now you may decide that you really want to run a marathon and all of those things have their their place no that's a good point and speaking of living in the moment are you ready to jump into our final news story of the day i am let's hear all it. all right this is from psychology today study shows humans are on autopilot nearly half the time a study by daniel gilbert and matthew killingsworth awesome last name matthew found that 46.9 percent of the time people tend to be checked out or are mind wandering, the act of not being focused on the outside world or the task at hand and instead being focused on their own thoughts. Unfortunately, the study of 2,250 people, individuals, proposes that most of the activity, most of that mind-wandering activity, does not make us feel happy. The study was designed to find out what kind of activities people did throughout a typical day. Mind-wandering happened to be one of 22 possible activities people could choose from. Researchers found that people were at their happiest when making love, exercising, or engaging in conversation, and they were least happy when resting, working, or using a home computer. So I have a little more we'll go into a little later, Jennifer, but I want to ask you, is mind wandering a normal part of human existence or is it something we need to work on? So I think mind wandering's, wandering's close cousin is daydreaming. And there is a lot of research to back up that when we allow ourselves to daydream, we can solve problems easier and faster. Um, so I don't think that daydreaming and mind wandering is bad because you can get brilliant multi-million dollar ideas in that brain wandering. But I think if you fall into the trap of mind wandering, mind wandering like six to eight, 10 hours a day, you might be avoiding life. And that might be something to address. And if you're mind wandering that long and you're disengaged from your life, I could see where that would make you unhappy because you're not getting the thrill of living a, a good life. So I find it really interesting, that article, because there's different takes and with, from different researchers. As you talked about, you know, coming up with the ebook idea like meditation, like meditation is a very focused like mind experience, you know, you're not wandering, you're very focused on the breath, you're very focused on, you know, your body in general. And I think, you know, when people start mind wandering, you kind of start thinking of all these different things that, you know, as we talked about in the previous story, like could happen, like, oh, I could be doing this, or I could be doing that. And you kind of get down on yourself when really, it's like, 
if you just had this focus idea of where you wanted your mind to go, you might be able to be like, you know what, I had a really good Starbucks sandwich today or something of that nature. <laughs> and just enjoying that moment instead of thinking about what I could be doing. Yeah, I think that's where daydreaming and mind watering, wandering is slightly different. Because daydreaming, you're, you're visualizing something that you desire or something that you want, where mind wandering might bring in your ego. And that's when you start to get the negative self-talk and like the shame fest that, you know, sometimes uh, the shame fest, you could actually name it a a gremlin name and be able to call (laughs) it out so that you can bounce back. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes my gremlin is Patricia and I just tell her, shut up, Patricia. Like we're not doing, no, we're going to believe in ourselves on this. We're going to go do this software thing. (laughs) But I think that that's one way you can make negative self-talk a little bit of a playful game. I think mind wandering to an nth degree could be damaging because you never allow yourself to be in the present moment. And the present moment is where you really get the most traction for your life. And I think it's important that kind of, yeah, you you play these games. Like I, I'm a big... I'm a big person on like, if I'm feeling down about myself, I'm like, you know what, how can I be my best friend to myself? You know, would I be friends with someone that's this negative and, you know, toxic quotations on that? It's like, how do I change that to be a better friend to myself? How do I treat myself better? How would, if a friend was feeling the same way I'm feeling, you know, how would I help them to get in a better headspace? I think as humans, we tend to be so critical of ourselves. You know, we sit in the mirror for an extra 30 minutes to an hour trying to make our hair perfect. I think it really it's helped me in my personal opinion. It's helped me to be like people do not give a shit about you. They're so worried about themselves <laughs> that they're like they don't care if your hair is just a little off. This was another thing in like I think this was maybe sophomore freshman year of high school. I used to get up an hour hour and a half early to spend an hour doing my hair. Wow, and how long was your hair? Uh it was I don't know if you ever saw like Zoe 101, uh but there was this character Chase who had like that hair which was very popular. In the early 2000s where it like he put on a hat and then the hair like kind of curled around the hat so I had that I had that kind of long hair and I had to like get each curl perfectly and I was just like now looking back I was just like no one probably even noticed and I think that's such an important thing it's like you know we spend so much time being critical of ourselves when that's energy that you don't need to spend because another person is gonna like you for you flaws and all. Well, it's funny you say that because I feel like that's something that girls obsessed with is like the longer hair, having the perfect curls. But I have, I mean, my hair is a little bit straighter today, but I have curls that can get like really spirally, curly, kinky. And uh, when I have enough product and uh, sometimes I like worry about, oh, this curl's not curly enough or Mm -hmm. this one's a little too loose. But sometimes the days that I just let them kind of like go at their own little whimsical I get asked out more. So it's kind of like, well, maybe, maybe I don't have to have this like perfect curl. Maybe the perfect curl is preventing my love life. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting all those people that want to rob banks together. (laughs) Actually, that has not happened to me. And we're not going to, well, we're not going to speak that into existence for me. (laughs) Uh, Jennifer, I do want to ask you what comes to mind when I mention the word mindfulness? Mm, I think when uh, mindfulness is the spaciousness to just be and not hustle. I like that. And I think some days that that's harder than others. Yeah, well, let's get into mindfulness in a little bit from the study. So a 2007 study by Norman Farb, along with six other scientists from the University of Toronto, broke new ground on our understanding of mindfulness from a neuroscience perspective. Farb and his colleagues worked out a way to study how human beings experience their own moment-to-moment experience. 
they were able to discover how people have two distinct ways of interacting with the world and use two different sets of networks. The default network, which becomes active when not much else is happening and you think about yourself getting into your ego a bit. For example, sitting on the edge of the dock in summer, a nice breeze in your hair and a cold beer in your hand. But instead of taking in the day, you find yourself thinking about, what should I cook for dinner? Or the summer is coming to an end and I need to pack away my summer clothing. Farb categorized this network as the narrative circuit, as when active, you are thinking about your history, future, all the people you know, and weaving them together into a narrative storyline. The other is the direct network, which when active allows you to experience the current moment, not thinking about the past or the future or someone else, but experiencing the warmth of the sun on your skin, the cool breeze in your hair, or the coldness of the beer in your hand. Later studies based on Farb's finding found that these two networks tend to be inversely correlated. For example, if you're stressed out about an upcoming meeting, taking a deep breath allows yourself to become grounded in the current moment and relieve or partially or partially relieve stress. A related study by Kirk Brown found that people high on a mindfulness scale, those who can discern the two networks at any time, were more aware of their unconscious and had a greater control over their cognitive ability to enjoy the present moment, which in practice can have long-term positive effects on, avoid on avoiding mind wandering. So Jennifer, I wanna ask you from that, how in your personal experience, in your years of doing what you do, how do we work to enjoy the moment more? You know, when we're up against the wall fighting tooth and nail for our dreams, how do we create stillness for the what now? Yeah, that is something that had the best way I can describe it is to start practicing it now because the little, when you first do it, when you first practice mind, mindfulness, if depending on how bad the gremlins are in your head, it, it can be painful. It might take you six months to a year of practicing that every day before you start to experience results. If you're somebody that has been having a mindfulness practice for a while, then that voice that might be in that stillness, because eventually um, the more stiller you get, though there will be a, a soulful voice or a, or feedback or guidance that you need for your life in that stillness. And if you aren't equipped or been in the practice of listening for that voice, it's a faint whisper. You hear this from people that are really big into stillness and mindfulness that the deeper you go and the more still you get and the quicker you get, the louder that voice gets. And some, some people call that voice to be your soul voice. Some people that are more faith-based say it's a higher power or God, but usually that voice that it's at that deeper level is usually something that you most need for your life or it's something you need to do for someone else's life. Usually that voice has always got your back, so it's it's a good thing to be able to listen to it. Do you equate this soul voice to like gut feelings or are you, are you kind of, maybe those are different things? I think when I was first getting started, I... I pegged it as intuition, but now that I practice it more regularly and at a deeper level, I feel that there's a difference between, I can definitely tell the difference between ego mind and soulful voice. And sometimes if I'm really deep into meditation, it's um, like a higher power wisdom that comes in um, and they have a different energy to them. So I'm able 
to notice which is which. Um, this might feel strange for some people because you might just be going through your day and not even conscious of your thoughts. But a lot of times the people that are the most successful in the world are conscious of their thoughts. I was just in a leadership circle this past week and the talk was on how CEOs of companies that are the most successful are the most in control of their thoughts and the most decisive. Um, Because when you're aware of your thoughts and you're cognizant of them, you can make decisions faster. So it was about a talk on how you don't have decision fatigue when you're in awareness. And for some of your listeners, they might not be in a state of regular awareness. So that first step is to kind of get aware of where you're, be aware of where you're currently at. And uh, sometimes when you're aware of your own thoughts, you might you might notice that, wow, I'm really negative to myself. And sometimes that's not an enjoyable thing to realize. <laughs> sometimes that's a thing where it's like, oh, this is bad. I probably shouldn't tell anyone. But uh, this is something where if that is you, it is it is of the best thing for your future self and your present self to really grow and do that inner work because the deeper inner work you do on yourself, the more the outer work and the outer circumstances will shift. And you, that's when you truly bounce back and really welcoming your new life. So for me, I've been got a, I've been kind of deepening that practice. So for me, I can distinguish them, but if you're new to the practice, you're going to have a hard time possibly distinguishing. You know, from my personal life experience, going through burnout, going through the end of a relationship, going through a, you know, huge career change. I was in a moment like, you know, you feel like you're at rock bottom, but like, as you talk about in the ebook, like there's different levels of rock bottom. Like you're just happy to be at this one. I was in vacation in Maine. I just got done shooting a movie. I was in vacation in Maine. I was sitting on this bench looking at the waves coming in and I just broke down. I just like realized like I'm worrying so much about trying to find the perfect career, find the perfect soulmate, find the work through this burnout and just work through it right there and then that I was like, you know what, I'm really pushing away my life. I'm not enjoying this moment as, you know, the story talks about is really being in the moment, enjoying what you're doing in this moment, because you're going to have a wonderful life if you just slow down. You know, I have on my phone, literally, it says slow down. It's just a subtle reminder (laughs) that's like, you're going too fast. Just take a moment, breathe, you know, what's going on around you. Like I get to meet amazing people like yourself doing a podcast I love. And that's just such an enjoyable thing for me. That brings so much happiness and love to my soul. And it took me breaking down in this bench in the middle of the park in Maine to realize that I really need to start just slowing down and enjoying life and finding and doing things that make me happy. And now I have a bucket list with like a hundred different items that I'm just like, I'm just going to start knocking these babies off. I think one of my breakdown moments and how I found comedy, like I had always wanted to take class at Second City. I moved to Chicago, but it was just something that wasn't happening. And Second City had a fire in their building three days after my building had a fire in it. And so talk about an omen, like three days apart. And I'm like, okay. Um, And so that's how I knew that I needed to go to Second City, not two years from now, but I needed to go now. And so I used part of my insurance check money that I got from losing some of my possessions and I applied it towards Second City and I think one of the most beautiful things about Second City is you really can't do comedy at a high level 
unless you're present in the present moment. Because if you're not present in the present moment, the audience doesn't buy into your comedy. It's like this really weird like thing with the audience that if you are in one with them on stage, they are in, they're into your show and they're into it. And it's just so much more magical. And I think having that aspect to my solo performance career was sort of like the yin and yang to my mindfulness because comedy up until that point was the one thing where I allowed myself to be fully present and like play with the audience and like not worry, oh my gosh, I have to pay my internet bill. I forgot to pay that last night or, or oh gosh, like my boss said something this morning. I feel so, so crappy about it. Like you just have to put it all away. And I think that is what helped me create a deeper mindfulness pro- process that now I'd, I'd say I like my life a lot more than when I had previously been doing those tactics. No, I, th- I think <laughs> and I think it's a good to end it on that. You know, we started with Second City. We kind of ended with Second City. It's a good it's a good circle of uh, life. Uh, Jennifer, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news story the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful discussion. Once again, listener, you can connect with Jennifer through her website at www.funnylifecoach.com. And as a gift from Jennifer to the water coolings of the world by following the link posted in the description, signing up for the email list, you can get a 20% off her ebook, How to Bounce Back When Your Dreams Have Not Worked Out, Burned You Out, or Your Dreams Have Died. I think we should have done 13% to fit in with the 13th theme, but uh, Jennifer wanted to... She, did, she wanted to be nice <laughs> to the audience, so I guess we had to go against the theme. Uh, I do have one other gift for your audience members. For for those that might be listening to this and might feel like you do want to talk to someone about the burnout issues you have or needing to bounce back, um, there is another link that if you sign up, there's 25. It's not 13, <laughs> but there's, <laughs> there's 25 free um, coaching sessions I'm giving away in February for the gift of love. And um, if you want to get a coaching program, you can get 25% off the program. So uh, it's not 13%, but it is, uh, it creates a little bit more access to people that may need help with these issues. I love it. And like I said, all of those links will be posted in the description of this episode to make it as easy as possible for you to check out Jennifer's work. Before we go, do you mind explaining dream death and how sometimes it's okay for your dream to die? Yeah, dream death is something that is it's hard to acknowledge, right? Because it's, it's when the love of your life asks you for a divorce and you get a divorce. It's, it's when you've been trying for seven years to have a baby with your significant other and you find out infertility might just be the way that things go. And dream death is, is when something that you've really desired for a long time and you get the news, it's just not going to happen that way. And I think um, that's sort of a topic that's hard for people to admit and they don't want to talk about. But it's something that if you can bounce back from dream death, uh, your whole world opens up. You start to live in the moment, but you start to enjoy those moments and you start to you start to attract different things into your life. And if you don't really address that dream death and figure out a way to bounce back, it's going to hold back your life. So I'm really, my work is um, a lot of my clients usually have a dream death version of their own. And it's, it's a really beautiful thing to help them transform out of that and welcome in a life that sometimes is better than the original dream that they wanted. Uh, and as always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Jennifer, where we take the strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world and just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. 
And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story, or if you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. Jennifer, as I mentioned, it is a custom around here to close out the show for the guest to close out the show. It started because, you know, it's just sometimes hard to close out a podcast. So I, I put all the pressure on the guest to close out the show. <laughs> oh, how nice of you. <laughs> the floor is yours. <laughs> Have at it. Thank you. Um, I just really want to speak to those who might be listening to this and feeling like this is just a little bit more your life than what you realized. And I just want to say that life can be super, super fun. And the comedy that is surrounding you even in your own life can help you bounce back and please feel free to reach out because I'd love to get to know you and uh, get to experience your story online. Well, I appreciate you have having you on the show today, Jennifer. I really appreciate being able to explore a little bit into my burnout more. Um, and until next time, listeners, peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. Welcome back, partner. You look parched after having all them yeehaws from this episode. You definitely came to the right watering hole. Uh, a former guest of the program, Jake Merva, has been promoting his new Western play, and I just had a chance to watch some of their promotional material prior to recording the intro corrections, uh, and it put me into a bit of a bit of a Western mood there, so I, I might meander over to some Red Dead Redemption later. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. But to the corrections. In story number one about bad first dates, I mentioned Match.com starting sometime around my birth in 1995. Match.com became official on April 21st, 1995, two weeks prior to my birth. Also, Jennifer mentioned the three ladies that started Coffee Meets Bagel. To give them a bit more credit, they are actually three sisters, Aram Duwoon and Su Kang. Fun fact, Match.com invested in their initial funding. So, if you're going to a trivia night tonight, there you go. I might I might help you out on getting some points there. And finally, from that story, not necessarily a correction, uh, more of an apology? I said jet ski away in context or discussion. Absolutely no idea what that means or where it came from. You know, while I was editing, I listened to it again, and my first thought was like, what the heck does that mean? But then I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? That could, that could catch on. Uh, so if uh, Jet Ski Away stuck out to you and you liked it, go ahead, use it. From story number two, I want to expand on something Jennifer had mentioned. According to the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, the top 10 countries who offer the best maternity leave are all European, with Bulgaria having the most amount of time of up to 60 weeks. As I can see, we have... Looks about like... 13 listeners from Bulgaria. Uh, if any of your mothers and want to leave a comment or send an email on your experience, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to expand my knowledge. All right, water coolings. That's another correction corner. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of water cooler talk. And once again, thank you to Jennifer for joining us and talking about some of the strangest and most weird news stories the world has to offer. Once again, if you felt a connection to Jennifer, make sure to check her out by following the link in the description. But as always, that's your corrections. That's your episode. So get out of here. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real.